Good morning and welcome to Sport and Life with Sam Kakovich and Leon Wigard. It's Sam, we've got a special guest today. Oh, elaborate, Leon, please. He's an uh, ethnic background. Played uh, footy for North Melbourne. Actually, ooh. he played 124 games for us, uh, for uh, North. That narrows And down. he sits right opposite me right now. Did you know about this? Oh, well, I do now, I think. I, sus- <laughs> I suspect strongly it might be about Amwar, is it? It is about, uh, about uh, your, your French as well, are you? Oh, the mighty command. Now, tell us it's about, right. we are actually, our guest today is Sam Kekovic. Sam the ethnic background, people, obviously it's not Anglo-Saxon. No, it's not. The derivative of the surname Kekovic is not Anglo-Saxon, that's true. Uh, it is from uh, Yugoslavia, the old Yugoslavia from Montenegro, my parents. Uh, and how I got here, well, I was born here, obviously, but my parents escaped war torn Europe. born, not here, but in Western Australia. Yeah, I was born in WA, but my parents escaped war torn Europe directly after the war, during the escape obviously communism and Hitlerism uh, across to the Middle East with the Brits uh, we're in a camp in El Arish and in those days when you migrated from either of those venues places you either went to Canada or to Australia and we went to West Australia where we knew another family called the Radunoviches and the Boyniches a big Yugoslav contingent Boynich. yeah Boynich famous footballer yeah Ray Same Ray Boynich's family. family yeah uh, and they is a huge Yugoslav uh, contingent in Fremantle in particular where we landed so I was born in a place called Manjima, uh in uh, that's 19- not far out of town is it? it's not far out of town no <laughs> no, no out of and, Perth and no. not out of Perth it's in the Margaret River area but inboard yeah, inboard yeah. Uh, so yeah so and then we left uh, we grew tobacco there as sharecropping with, uh, with the family that we knew very well and knew of and then uh when the sock got into the into the, uh, into the ground, uh, we made the trek across the eastern seaboard in the Olympic year of 56. Now, I remember vividly we got to Melbourne and I watched, and from your point of view, it was water polo. I remember the water polo game between Hungary and Yugoslavia because Yugoslavia had a good water polo oh, team. Oh, my word. They were very good at it. I think they were playing Hungary. The well, per- right now, with all those countries split up, one of them, was there five countries now? Yeah, five, yeah, virtually five states. Well, yeah. they're all good. They're all good. Well, basketball and... Uh, and water polo. Yeah. Water polo and soccer is, is what they play. They're very, very good, proficient in all those disciplines. But I remember the pool vividly. You know, it started off being blue. It was almost red by, by half time. You know, the fighting and the infighting, and I didn't know anything about the rules of water polo, but I was intrigued by the water and the swimming, being a kid, I was only six years old. But oh, some of the horrific incidents that must have transpired under, under the water, which you would know better than anyone. And you remember the pool, it's now the Collingwood Footy Club, and they had that great big one wall, which was enormous, that was a world prize winning architecture right. building that for 56. It's all, it was all glass. That's where it was, yeah. And it's still there now. Gee, that's amazing. And all that time uh, transpired. So, you're 56, you're back here. And, 56. Uh, uh, no, you didn't come to Melbourne, though. No, no. Melbourne was just a bypass, a stopover. And we headed to a place called Gunbow in, uh, in, uh, along the Murray River near Kahuna and uh, Echuca, just past Echuca, where we had a, uh, had a good contract with a sharecropping family that we knew well. So, we spent about 10 years there, and then I went to Kahuna High School. For my first year, uh, midway through... Kahuna and I, High. Kahuna High. There's not much in Kahuna. Stuart Appleby. 
yeah, the uh, Farrants. Well, his father's still a very good yeah. player there. Ray Garby, remember Ray Garby? Oh, yes, yeah. Ray Garby had the great clothing store there. And I remember the great, the great uh, Laurie Ick coached Union Laurie there. Ick. Oh, he's frightening. Father he of? Father of, yes, the son of. Uh, and Union and the footy was very big there, Leechville, Gunbow, Kundrook, Pyramid Hill. And that's where I was just as a junior. And then I went to Kahuna High my first year. And then we moved, and that's where people mostly know about me, is when we moved to Myrtleford. And Myrtleford was where I pre- predominantly grew up in my latter years till I went to North Melbourne. Yeah, we're still on the farm there, cropping and uh, so forth. And then I found a way to North Melbourne. Now, you're well known for your uh, speaking engagements and all other things. And we'll talk mm. about the Lambassador and all that sort of mm. But where did you pick up that sort of lingo, if you like, the, the unique way that you do things? Is that a, a school-taught thing or...? Oh, I'm not really, uh, Leon. I was always intrigued by the Queen's English. I always, I always used to enjoy good orators. <laughs> you listening? You, know, you wouldn't believe that as a kid, but I was. And then I became, uh, I became a mad crossword uh, doer. I did crosswords every morning. You know, from when I was about 17, 18, I did crosswords all the time, and not, I could never get them out. But the following day, I always made a point of looking it up, what the answer was. But more important, I used to have my dictionary with me and saw what the word meant. And then I used to put it into sentence form. So I self-taught myself. And gradually, over a long period of time, you expand your lexicon to a stage where you feel fairly confident talking and using some words that, you know, I still don't know what they mean. But <laughs> <laughs> you use them. No, you, no one else knows what they well, mean. Let's hope the audience is confused. <laughs> Otherwise, nothing more embarrassing when the audience pulls you up and says, excuse me, that's not in the right text, you know. <laughs> did your parents uh, speak fluent English or were they... They did. They became fairly fluent. No, not totally. They still had an accent. But we spoke both Yugoslav, and, which I still to this day am very proficient at, and Australian. So we had broken English over a period of time. But mum and dad spoke, you know, very good English. So you must have had some good schooling all the same to be able to pick up those oh, languages. Oh, yeah, I was a matric. You speak a bit of French and a bit oh, of everything. La moutarde, I learnt that, mustard. And I was uh, <laughs> un black one noir. I'll and, retract that then. And the blackboard, <laughs> la garçon, la fille. And then the, I had the worst French teacher. Oh, she was very good, the French teacher. And I did French for one year. She used to slap me all the time. She used to have a fly swat, you know, swatting flies. <laughs> I just, I couldn't gravitate to French. French drove me mad. I would have loved to have spoken it, but I wasn't good enough. Anyhow. Uh, so you made your way through football, junior football, or were you playing senior football? No, I played junior footy. I played junior, but I, I, I got into senior football very early at a very good comp. Were you I always mean, a big guy, by the way? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I was also a very good sprinter. Oh, you used to be known for Athletic, that. Athletic, yeah. I was a good sprinter. Uh, but yeah, I played senior football virtually at you know fifteen. Got you know had a sniff of at Myrtleford, and you got to understand that the Ovens and Murray was a very powerful competition, and Myrtleford was a very good side. You know, uh, played, played against sides like Albury, Yarrawonga, Yarrawonga, Wodonga, Benalla. Yep. You know, Wangaratta, yeah, Wangaratta Rovers and Wangaratta Magpies. And Water was the smallest uh, of all the towns. Exactly. By a long way. By a long way. And I'll tell you something else. Every one of those sides in those days had a very healthy VFL representation. Yes. Because all the money was in the bush at that time. 
and they could lure all these super- Murray Wiedemann coached Albury. You know, Bobby Rose was at Wangaratta. Uh, Johnny Sharrick? Johnny Sharrick was there. You Bobby, know, uh, we had uh, Billy Stephen a bit before a that. A bit before that. Uh, but Frank Tuck moved to uh, Coral in those, like Colin, yeah. great. And every club had a huge, huge AFL uh, Vinny Williams, uh, that was way a bit further. Former Fitzroy player. Yeah, but all those players. See, I remember the weed. The weed, I think, at the time, because our families became very close with the Wiedemanns. Was particularly with Murray, uh, and I remember I think Murray said he was getting five quid or ten quid at Collingwood, you know, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't, uh, and he was the captain, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't budge on it, because, and all of a sudden Albury came, I think they gave him a hotel and who knows what they gave him, and he had a very successful tenure there, and Albury was a very big town, good vibrant town, so and that was the nature, that was the liar, that was a, that was that, that was the landscape of country football then, it was very powerful. And all the cockies had plenty of money, of course. You know, farming was, you know, at its very uh, zenith. And uh, all those country towns were so vibrant and economically sound. And the flagship of all those communities was their sporting prowess. Going, that, going back to Yarrawonga, and uh, just to uh, emphasise that fact, Bill Stephen was captain coach of uh, Fitzroy and uh, yeah, had a, a very good playing career, of course, uh, back pocket. He went to Yarrawonga, financed by my uncle, Bill Hicks, the butcher. Yeah. He had all the butcher shops. He did. And, and a bloke named Burke, who had the biggest pub, Burkey's. Still the So they, they shipped together, and uh, not just them by themselves, but they organised the funds for Bill. The, 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 as you were alluding to, the, the, the figure was enormous. Oh, money was never, never an object. Though. Let me tell you, in the country, you know... I know little things, but, you know, Friday afternoon in the country town, you couldn't move. Yeah. Couldn't get a park. All the shops were full. I mean, when Ronnie Branton came to coach uh, Myrtleford. Oh, the shoe shop. Oh, Richmond back pocket. He was the captain. He ended up with a motel there. He had the shoe shop there. And uh, I just spoke to him recently. He's in a, uh, he's in a home at Maryborough. Uh, not being, not, he's, he's okay, but he's nearly 90. Uh, a wonderful man. And... Uh, yeah, that was that was the nature of the country in those days. It was fantastic. The bush, we had a great upbringing. Now, before we get into the football, the family, uh, <clears throat> there's a bit of pain in this for you. Yep. Uh, of course, you had Brian and Michael, two brothers. Yeah, Brian's my older brother. He's still well. He's uh, not in the best of health, but he's okay. He had a bit of a stroke, but he's recovered fairly well. Michael, as you know, my younger brother, who moved to Melbourne, also when I moved in '68. He came over in 70 and he went to school at, uh, uh, at, in Melbourne, in the Trinity Grammar, which is North Melbourne school. Most players went to Trinity Grammar. Uh, and unfortunately got killed. One said they were jogging home, you know, during the winter and unfortunately, you know, tragedy struck, he got hit and died. So the car backing out, wasn't it? Oh, I don't know the exact circumstances, there, but it was, a, it, was a, yeah. it was an awful thing. And, uh, of course, that was devastating from the family's no point doubt. of view. You know, it decimated, uh, not decimated the family, but it was, it was, you never recover from things like that. To see parents bury their children is a shocking thing. We all grow up with the fact that we know that one day we have to bury our parents. And, you know, as hard as that is, that's, you know, you, you move on, that's, ever, that's the name of the game. But to see parents bury their own is just a devastating thing. Uh, Brian was, of course, a premiership full forward. In 1968, he, uh, 
they beat Essendon. And one of the great trivial quizzes, uh, questions of that time was, who was the last? Who was the only club uh, that kicked less goals than the uh, oh, than the, the vanquished? The, 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 yeah, Essendon kicked. Yeah, yeah. kicked eight and Carlton kicked seven, of which Brian kicked four. So Brian played a very significant part in that Carlton victory in '67. Uh, uh, sorry, '68. Uh, it was it was very unique. And Michael was a promising player, wasn't Michael, he? Michael, well, like they still say he would have been the best. He'd already played a senior game. And, uh, you know, they speak highly of him still at Trinity Grammar where they beat... They were the only club that, at the time, from memory, they beat uh, Crackers and his side at the... Kilmore. Kilmore, Assumption College. Mm. Michael played a very relevant Football role there. Football factory. Mm. But the Trinity are fantastic. They still perpetuate the memory of uh, Michael. And we drop in there every now and again, so... Yeah, Trinity Grammar's fantastic. But he would have been a superstar player, yeah. Who signed you for North Melbourne? Well, Ron Joseph. Ron jo- At the time, funny thing, uh, it was a pretty unique story, me, in as much as I was going to Carlton. I already signed with Carlton because when Brian was signed, it was naturally automatically accepted I was going to follow Brian the year after. But, of course, as you all know, a wonderful initiative was introduced by the VFL called Zoning. And, of course, the best-performed country zone was allocated to the worst-performed VFL club, of which the Ovens of Murray was the most powerful country zone and the worst-performed VFL club was North Melbourne. So all of a sudden, from going to Princess Park, I found myself at Arden Street. But prior to the, the events leading up to Arden Street, I remember Gerald Burke, the Carlton uh, secretary, Graham Richmond was there. I trained at Richmond once during the school holidays. And Ron Joseph would drive up and down all the time. And, of course, I was always going to Carlton at the time because of, you know, association. But Ron was so persistent in North Melbourne, I had no qualms, even though I was compelled to go to North Melbourne. I still liked the thought, even though it was a lowly club, at the time, you know, we were lamenting at the bottom of the ladder, but, you know, Ron sold it so well and he was the the architect of our renaissance, for want of a better term. This was late 60s? Late 69, I joined, uh, no, North 68, mid 68 I joined. Uh, at that time, it was the, uh, uh, Alan Allen couldn't have been president, No, Tony Trainer was the president. Tony Trainer, fantastic family, the Trainer family. It left a, late, a great legacy at North Melbourne. Uh, uh, yeah, well, North Melbourne traditionally, as you would know, as Fitzroy, were very under-resourced. We never had, you know, the great names there were the two, you know, Doug Dale and DeWire and uh, Bernie McCarthy at centre-half forward. So we, you know, we lacked depth, but, you know, gradually you could see there was a momentum shift. We are gradually building numbers and numbers. I, I get uh, the dates a bit, or the periods of time a bit wrong, like most of us. That was well after the dog track had gone, I guess. Yes, the dog track had gone. Because they, they, they must have been funny days for the North Well, North they were. The room, oh, well, still, it's part of, part of sporting folklore what transpired at the dog track and how some, you know, I think some of the tunnels are still in existence there <laughs> where the dogs are. People may yeah. not uh, know that North Melbourne <laughs> did have the dog track we did. Uh, on the ground and all the car parking was behind uh, the grandstand. That's right. And, uh, and of the, course, you didn't need at that time. I don't know what football was like when you first came down, 68. Eight, yeah. But whether they had president's lunches and all, that came later with Barry Cheatley at well, North North. Well, no, 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 no. Uh, yes, Barry Cheatley played a significant you, role in the marketing, but it was Ron Joseph as well. And, 
they had a coterie of which Monty Milson, you might remember yes, the last Monty, Monty yeah, Milson. His brother. Who his brother, Carlton, Mad yeah. Carlton. They were great builders in uh, yeah. at the time. And they started the coterie. I think it was about 15, 20. He used to put in a grand or two grand. I don't know what it was. And, you know, that, that was the beginning. That was that was the... Uh, that was the uh, the initial beginning of the uh, North, the big coterie groups, the powerful followers. Yeah, they started of the club. that. They started that, and we used to you know have a beer with them on a Saturday night or after game and whatever. Uh, but clubs used to meet together with all the umpires and they'd have a beer afterwards anyway. So, so yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, and who was coach then? Uh, Keith McKenzie was my first coach. He was fantastic. Keith McKenzie was the coach. Uh, uh, Bilko was the captain, obviously. Johnny Dugdale. Laurie DeWire Well, Johnny's still playing golf at Q. Yeah, he's still very good at it too. Yeah, I've got a couple of sons that play well. Yeah. So uh, a lot of friendships you've still got, I suppose, from those early days? Oh, we thought, I thought it was a lot, of, a lot of good relationships. You know, and it's amazing. When you go to a club that's, you know, a lowly club, and then, you know, from those depths of despair to the pinnacles of success, you know, that's when you really forge those strong relationships. Because we can look back on those dark days, but... When you've also experienced the bright sunshine at the top of the peak, yeah, you know. a lot of people say though, Sam, when uh, when kids first arrive, what was your thought? Do you think you might play one game of senior footy, or, or, or were you brash and thought, well, this is where I ought to be? Interesting, you know. Look, like all kids growing up in the bush, I had a manic obsession to play league footy. Everyone just, you know, yearned of that opportunity. You know, I used to collect all the cards. I used to watch any snippet of television, collect all the paper, any writings. I was just had a, I was a mad Collingwood supporter. Everyone called me Gabbo or Tuddy, you know. That was my nicknames <laughs> everywhere I went. You know, I didn't care. I just yearned for the day that I get an opportunity. Uh, I had no, I really didn't have any aspirations. I thought I had a big, I had a big build up to me coming here. I was on the front page of the papers, you know, because I was a reluctant guy to come to play footy you know Lloyd Holyoke always a former president says he always remembers the the headline of a paper why pip they call me why p-i-p you pay i play (laughs) I wouldn't go unless I got a certain stipend so that put me under a lot more pressure you know so I remember when I finally came here the crack of dawn I left Myrtleford in a flurry and tears and you know, the club, because I was probably the gun player of the time at North Melbourne, at, at Myrtleford, and we hadn't won a flag for a long time. And I was seen as probably a healthy contributor. But I decided I just wanted to leave. I left in June, mid-season. And they wanted to give me more, and Ron dragged me to North. I wanted to go to North. The opportunity of playing league football. Anyhow, I played my first game, and, you know, I had played on Dennis Marshall against Geelong. I had a really good day, first day. And then I remember I was in town, uh, not even seven days, Leon, how's this for a life? And you wonder why later I might have got off the rails a bit. I got there, uh, <clears throat> we left Thursday night. Wednesday or Thursday night, a car broke down in Benalla. Ron borrowed Keith McKenzie's Humber. I don't think we had any wheels north most of the time, we had to hire cars. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, we broke down, we got a bloke out of the garage at all wee small hours of the morning. We arrive in the Melbourne, I don't know, some some strange hours in the morning. Uh, Ron dropped my mum off at the uh, the motel up the top of uh, Flemington Road where he booked, and I went with him to uh, his place at Bentley where they lived, 
and which ultimately stayed with the Josephs for over a year. I lived with before mum and dad bought and came to Melbourne. Uh, the following day, uh, we picked up mum. We went shopping because I never had a suit or anything like that. So I went to John Pyersom's. I'll never forget that, that we bought a John Pyersom suit. Wear it. John Pyersom. P-Y-E-Z, John oh, Pyersom yeah. suit. Anyhow, I bought a suit, two, two shirts, a tie. Uh, I only had desert boots at the time. So Was that the buy. last time you actually paid for anything? <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so I was all dressed up in my first game when I arrived to Saturday uh, at Arden Street for Geelong. So anyhow, after I'd played that day, that night, you know, which I, they said I was BOG or whatever, but anyhow, I had a good day. So the Saturday night I was on the Graham Kennedy show. Uh, on the Sunday I was World of Sport. On the Monday I was at TV ringside getting the Courage Award for the Player of the Ron Round. Ron Casey, yeah. Ron Casey. So I'm in town for that four days and I'm on top of the pile. I said, <laughs> said am I really footy? Fair dinkum. Is it? You're kidding. This, I, I looked at names like Barassi, Witten, Skilton. I said, that mountain's, un, you know, it's unreachable at mountaintop there. I said, I'm here already. I've only been here five minutes. I said, this is, there's got to be something else, surely. So there I was. So, you could, so from there on, you know, I thought, well, it never got easier, let me assure you. But uh, we had had some very good times. I had some down times, created by myself, a lot of them. But uh, I enjoyed them. See, North Melbourne was fantastic. I owe everything I've got to North Melbourne. So, uh, 69, uh, you were uh, best and fairest. Yeah, I was. Uh, so that was a very quick, you know, from the year, second year. The second uh, year. That's yeah. unusual for a start. Then, of course, by 75, you're premiers. And in, in that time, Aylett, Mantello, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, reformed the whole place. They did. <coughs> oh, pardon me. The groundwork was said, look, I know that they, and rightfully so, they just took it to another level. Uh, of course, football had changed as well, particularly from a corporate perspective. Uh, the, the, uh, Tony Trainer did a fantastic job and Keith McKenzie coaching the job then the advent of Brian Dixon in terms of the playing crew I think he set a new discipline as well and then when Aylett came in Aylett yeah, and Mantello they got Barassi to coach well that was the biggest thing in the, in the sport you know who in the hell would have thought that a lowly club like North Melbourne could acquire the services of a Ron Barassi but they did and of course, the whole place transformed, just a mere mention of Barassi. And all of a sudden, all the other jigsaw puzzles fell into place. Then, of course, uh, Albert, you know, being as shrewd as he is, the great Albert Mantello, the late great Albert Mantello, uh, what a great man. He uh, sat on, the, he was a director of the, uh, of, the, of, of the AFL, and there was a, he sniffed around, there was a hint that uh, there was a 10 year rule in existence. So well, we they a- invented it. No, well, they, <laughs> well, they, they, well, they no, they. I was there. Yeah, at I the know time, you were. And they they came up with the concept, and it was endorsed by all of them. Everybody else sat in their hands. Yeah. North, North Melbourne was. They probably got a flying start. They did, but they did it. Now I don't know of anyone, any other club that took any advantage at all of that, and I don't know why. To this yeah, yeah it's a good point. But we did, and we secured the service of three wonderful players in Doug Wade. Johnny Rantel and Barry Davis, and the last one was uh, the one that we really wanted, but he didn't. We didn't quite secure. Was Dittrich? I remember Ron telling me Dittrich was the one they wanted. 
Wade was somewhat reluctant at the time, but as he was leaving, Albert Mantello dropped the bag out of his pocket, <laughs> which they normally, that was an old, an old uh, trick, you know, when they couldn't secure a recruit, they'd get up off the table and drop a bundle of, you know, 20 grand fell on the floor, like they normally didn't see what. They, I said, this is what we're going to give, it doesn't matter. They have uh, the cash on the top <laughs> yeah, and, the sh- and, and the shredded paper underneath. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all, that's it. Well, when Wadey saw that, apparently, he said, look, I'm, I might want to revisit that. that. <laughs> oh, well, he was so identified with Geelong, and it was quite unusual in those days for blokes to be hopping and challenging their clubs. That's you know, right. You were mostly club. You were one mayor, one like, person. Yeah, one club life. player. Life, because there was no drafting in those days. And there were no stipulations in terms of longevity. You know, clubs weren't compelled to, uh, you know, players weren't on contracts, apart from a certain few, you know, but the majority would just play for, you know, for match payments. Now, we've got to about 1975, which is the premier year. Now, for those North Melbourne supporters who bought the same photo, you may not know that Sam Cambridge played a leading part in that because he wasn't there <laughs> for the team photo. What happened before we get uh, on to the game? It's still a bit of clouded. Uh, <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> tell us about the game. <clears throat> oh, the game was fantastic. You know, you, you understand, I'll tell you quickly about the game and then I'll tell you about my biggest regret because I never shy away from this. The great thing about the game, we won the game. And the greatest thing from my point of view, I played a fairly contributive role like a lot of others. But you've got to go back to 74 Premiership where we played Richmond and there was a big expectation that I would be the prime mover to win, help win our first ever Premiership. Well, I had a terribly bad day. You know, I think I only got about 10 possessions and got harassed and whatever. Uh, and the club had a very poor showing. Well, so much so that it led to Barassi almost sacking about half the side. And I think it was Ron Joseph and Ron tells the story that he said, listen, just settle down to a cold, hard light of day and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll do a debriefing you know, when the dust settles. So apparently he managed to mollify Ron to a degree and he said, OK, we'll keep him intact for a while, but he wanted to unload quite a few players, including myself, Blight, I think, and a few others. Uh, anyhow, the reason I mentioned that is was, <coughs> pardon me, in this business, as you know, you think, well, you played, in the, you played in the grand final last year, you know, there'll be plenty of opportunities. But the chances are you may never ever play in another one. But from our point of view, redemption was swift. We played in 75. We were the underdogs to Hawthorne, who was a powerful club, you know. And the irony was the Richmond, who were our, who were our uh, nemesis the year before, and still our nemesis. We had difficulty with Richmond. But we could always beat uh, Hawthorne. Hawthorne could never beat troubles with us, but they could always beat Richmond. It's amazing how it worked. Mm. But Hawthorne was a gun side, you know, they had they had the heavyweights there. But we always believed we could beat Hawthorne, and we did, because we could match their physicality. And then some stage our superior skill levels, which were as thought we had, would always prevail. So redemption was swift. 75 came quick, and I had a very good year in 75. And so much that led, you know, Barras coming up, and I remember vividly, said, well, now I regard you as a very, very good player. There's yeah. a sport in life uh, with Leon Wigard talking to my co-host, Sam Kekovich, about his life. So, 75, a wonderful year for North because they, they'd been in the league since, what, 1924? 25 was our inception and 75 was 50 years to win our first flag. 
and that was a first ever. And you've rightfully pointed out earlier, I missed the, league, uh, the team photo through stupidity, as you know, I was involved with some uh, extracurricular activities. Leon, I think there was some members of the opposite, <laughs> fairer sex involved. And uh, the time when Barras decided to take the premiership photo, uh, I was otherwise well, engaged. It wasn't convenient. Well, it wasn't convenient. I looked at my diary. Leon had a chock-a-block diary, and I thought, there's no way in the world he would take a photo without the great Sam Kekovich, no one in their right frame of mind, given my massive contribution. Uh, <laughs> to which to this day he says, <laughs> pig's ass, he said, it'll be taken now. And more importantly, you know, with all the sophisticated weaponry at our disposal now, to be able to... Uh, superimpose. Superimpose. No, you'll be an inset. <laughs> yeah, but I've, I have seen a photo with you in it. Uh, I think uh, David Rob might have organised that to, yeah. uh, for, for a certain occasion. He did. Occasion. There was two photos. One I got at the front bar with Mick Malloy in there. They got me in the nude centrefold <laughs> at the front of the... <laughs> so, yeah, my greatest regret was that our most famous piece of memorabilia, which is our 75 first ever premiership, which will always go down to history as our greatest moment in time. And I always remember when I walked into the social club at North Melbourne, uh, when it was built, the great late Harold Henderson built the uh, help build the social. That's club. Henderson Springs. Yes, Henderson Springs, great contributor to the North Melbourne Football Club. And I remember the writings emblazoned on the wall of the social club restaurant. The great hot gospeler Alan Killigrew, and the message simply read: the twenty players that bring North Melbourne's first premiership home will gain football immortality. Well, you can imagine how we digest some of us at North Melbourne. We had IQs of three. Didn't even know. I thought that was a <laughs> bit of graffiti. I was going to bring up something to spray over it. But, of course, it meant a lot later in time yeah. when we did finally achieve what we achieved. And, of course, 76, I broke down. And uh, 77, Brass had enough of me. I said, I think you'd better move on. They said, I'm finished. Uh, so I went to Collingwood for four games. Uh, and there I was completely gone. Well, that was gone. probably a lifelong ambition when you were a kid. Yeah, I was. I would have loved to play with the Pies, but I would have loved to have gone but there. But you were just about jiggered by then? Oh, I was gone. My knees had gone. I had 14 knee operations by then. I'd had... But uh, nonetheless, I enjoyed my time at Collingwood. In fact, I'd kicked four goals my first game. You know, I got up and running, but I was never fit. And, you know, I'd, I'd never had the right attitude. And, you know, I was spent. And then, unfortunately, I went to the VFA where I was rekindled under Mick Irwin. We won a premiership at uh, Pran, which was a terrific year. And the VFA we then Preston. was tough. We beat Preston. Beat Preston Grand Final. That was still a big crowds. 31,000, I think. 30,000 still holds a record for the most amount of people at Fitzroy at the Junction Oval. Junction, yeah. One of the great surfaces of the world, Junction Oval. Yes, my word. Gee, it's a great oval. So, you know, that was it in its essence. But uh, what a wonderful journey. Now, a lot of other things have happened with you. Uh, media, uh, looking straight down the barrel and saying, I'm, I'm Sam Kekovic. You, you know, it makes sense, I'm Sam Kekovic. And, and, and so the many other things. Well, all the lamb commercials are world famous. Uh, yeah. And, of course, you're, you struck a friendship with Donald Trump. I did, Donald Trump. I stayed with Donald Trump, yeah, he helped... In fact, we shot the Lamb commercial together in 2010 at Trump Tower and the United Nations. So Trump was very, very interesting, very obliging. He was fantastic. But I saw another side too, which is not for commentary at the moment, but 
It was a wonderful experience. I went all around the world promoting lamb. How about the ESPN experience? The ESPN was 10 years of that, of uh, pardon the interruption, you know, which is a wonderful concept. You see it in America now where we come up with six topical issues of the week and we debate them for 30 seconds each with a co-host or a minute each. It's just fantastic. Rapid fire, entertaining television. 10 years that last. It would have still been going if we could have, uh, but it was a very expensive uh, vehicle. Very expensive vehicle has run out of America, out of ESPN in Connecticut. There are so many uh, parts of the media in Sam Kekovich. Uh, the fat? The fat was interesting, yes. I used to do those monologues through... Uh, they were terrific. Yeah, they were fun times. Did you write those yourself? I wrote about two of them. Now we had some great script writers who taught me a lot about writing. But you do write a bit. I do write a bit, yeah. I do write a bit, but they taught me how to write. Yeah, they were fantastic, the ABC then. But that's when the ABCs used yeah, to stick to their well, charter and you know, develop local content and promote local talent and not become political animals. Yeah. So, did, did you um, ever call the football? I called for a long time, Leon. Well, a long time. I called for about... I took over K-Rock at, when Ted Whitten died. I took over K-Rock as, the, uh, as a lead there with Peter Legrand. We called for about four or five years. It was fantastic. But I started with uh, Magic. Remember Magic 693? Yeah, with Kevin Bartlett. Kevin Bartlett and Steve Quartermain called, and then I called occasionally with Kevin, uh, but I did special comments. Magic's now 3MP, is 3AW became. 3AW bought them out. And now 3MP. Yeah. I listened to that. They have 80s music. Now you're beautiful. Great channel. Now, and 693 uh, was fantastic. And I didn't know until I looked it up uh, that you were an ARIA winner because of the, you know, it makes sense. Yeah, it was nominated as an ARIA award, yeah. That's 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 something that yeah, you'd well, be hiding course. from us? Oh, not really. I didn't win it, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> now, I was prompted by a bloke that might... Just going back to the footy. Sam, what, what weight were you when you played footy at your best? You're breaking up. What was that? Yeah, you know, a, a basic... <laughs> Funny way. thing, I was... I was Towards the end of my career, I had to be 100 kilo, 15.6. I'd be 100 kilo. Now, Ron Barassi sent you to Sydney for uh, <laughs> to get something fixed up, a <laughs> knee or something. I know where you're headed. And, and uh, you went with the Secretary of North Melbourne, who, oh. was, who was supposed to look after you. Oh, now, what, what a, happened? What a chaperone. How unlucky can you be, Leon? <laughs> yeah, this is not fair, but I'll wear it. I did my ductor muscles there. For those that don't know, it's you know, around that pelvic region. It's like the gout. If you touch yourself, you're in awful pain. And you might remember, I was 72 or 73, I think. I was 74, maybe, 75, I'm not sure. Uh, there was a new clinic, a whiz-bang sporting clinic called Lewisham in Sydney. Yeah, remember it. And ultrasound was the, uh, was the buzzword of the, world, of the sporting world. Anyhow, uh, in their wisdom, North Melbourne thought to expedite the uh, process of recovery. Why don't we send him to Lewisham? So they booked me to Lewisham. I remember going with David Robb. He was my chaperone. He was the secretary of the club. Uh, they thought he'd be, uh, you know, someone that was... Responsible. Well, you, you beat me to the gun. <laughs> and then uh, we, I remember on the Monday morning, I'll never forget it, we were taking to Macquarie Street. They gave me a needle to numb my whole midriff. Oh, never. It's the worst injection. I still see it to this day. And then we went to Lewisham for the first bout. And we, that was Monday. So I had this first round of ultrasound and a bit of stretching and whatever. 
So it would go in the morning and go in the afternoon. So it was my, and anyhow, by Tuesday afternoon, I said to David, I said, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, we're not due back till Thursday. We're been cooped up in this little motel room, backwards and forwards for Lewisham. Let's go and have a look at a bit of Sydney, you know. You see, where do you suggest we go? I said, what about the bourbon and beef at the cross? <laughs> that's always a good starting point. You know, that's where everyone seems to go, King's Cross. I said, at least, you know, let's have a little stroll and a look around. Well, we got the cross. I think it was Tuesday afternoon and left there Thursday morning. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, eat and drink, eat and drink. Anyhow, I got back to Melbourne. We got back to Melbourne. I knew I was well over. So I jumped straight in the car and I went straight to the bars, which used to go to St Kilda bars all the time. You know, I had the sauna, yeah. jump straight into the bay and have a swim. Well, I got there and I was sweating and sweating and but in there in the afternoons, like guys like Roy Higgins and them and other people there would bring food, they'd have a drink and, oh, I just had a bit of a snack and then I got to the ground. I got there early. I thought I'll sneak in there early, get dressed and get out in the ground. Well, shock horrors, I arrived there. There's Barassa's car there already. Oh. So I sort of sneak in. There he was in the medical room waiting. He said, come on, on the scales. He used to weigh me every Thursday night. In, in those days, every Thursday night. So in those days, we had those scales. You're not the ones you stand on and the numbers come up automatically, your weight. It was one of those scales, you know, you had to yeah, move yeah. the bar up till it balanced. Yeah. The weights. And in those days, we had Ron House as our head trainer. And Ron was very generous at times. He knew I'd sort of lift my foot. He was marginal. He'd be, <laughs> you know, give me the, you know, give me a, 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 break. a break. So he's right. Yeah, he's right. Well, this time he stood a lot alongside me, Brass, so he wants to do this. He's fiddling around the bar himself. Anyhow, <clears throat> he moved the bar, got to got to 100. Well, the bar's bolt upright. <laughs> got to 103, 104, just quivering like the 105 kilos. 105 kilos. I put on four kilos after sweating. About 104 in a bit. Well, he's gone, he's gone, David! He yelled out, Valusi, got his veins sticking out. He said, look at you, you disgrace. You're the second, you're the chaperone. Well, he just the most berated. I couldn't, David was cowering on his knees almost, the secretary. I've never heard unbridled abuse or tirade of invective ever. And he said, what am I going to do with this fat? I won't tell you what he said. He said, look, he said, have a look at this fat piece of shit. He said, what am I going to do with him now? Well, obviously we were playing Carlton a match of the day. I knew he wouldn't drop me for that one. If we had played Fitzroy, it would have been the twos. Oh, no, no, sorry, Fitzroy, anyone. Yeah, that'll do. <laughs> oh, he said, get out there. Well, I trained the – did I ever train? Kept me out all day. I must have lost two or three kilos. Anyhow, that was David Rob's last, <laughs> last last assignment, I can guarantee you. Now, somebody told me that you were a bit of a singer and uh, one-verse songs. Well, I can sing a song, yeah. I love my singing. I'm a country and western fan. Kiss an angel, good morning. Let her know you think about her when you're gone. Kiss an angel, good morning. And love her like the devil when you get back home. 
People may try to guess the secret of our happiness, but some of them never learn that the simple things, the secret I'm speaking of, is a woman and a man in love. And every time he asks me why, I just smile and say, you've got to kiss a name. How am I going now? (laughs) Dad, did you put that record on? Is that Johnny Cashman? The great Charlie Pride. (laughs) The great Charlie Pride. Oh, well, that's interesting. And you remember the words, eh? Well, I've still got to hang on. I'll get the second verse on the other hand. Now, <laughs> I'm just going to keep moving because we're going to get out of we, we do these programs, by the way, at the Prince of Wales Hotel in uh, Fitzroy Street, St yeah. Kilda. It's a wonderful venue. Unhappily, well, that's not bad today. It's a Monday we're recording this. So uh, uh, we've had an occasion. You'll remember it. <laughs> we had the, the, the wonderful and the player of the century, Lee, uh, Lee Matthews, our special guest. But we were delayed in getting it started. So we got close to about this time, 11.30, and all the girls were outside panicking and showing signs. And The restaurant and we That's right. Out. We got the flash restaurant all, all tied up, <laughs> and we had to cut Lee Matthews. We didn't get anywhere near three premierships. That, uh, the, 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 the Lions didn't get a mention. Uh, and so today we're running we're the We're about 10 risk. deep. Remember the people were 10 deep waiting to get their bookings. They had an hour for lunch. That's right. But I think uh, today we're okay because we've got <laughs> oh, Blake out there with a yeah. <laughs> with a money grinder, angle grinder. <laughs> so, so, so I just wanted to, a couple of things I didn't know about uh, the binder. What was all that about? The movie, the blinder. Oh, blinder. Blinder. Oh, I couldn't. My informant. Uh, I thought it was binder. No, so blinder was, oh, was a blinder. concept. A good friend of mine, Scott Didier. Of oh, John's yeah. Ling and Restoration. Oh, yeah, you've got a lot of businesses. Yeah, a lot of businesses. Just sold part of it for squillions. But he also is the chair of the uh, of the, of the Starlight Foundation. Oh, yeah. Does a lot of good charity work, Scotty. He's a great man. Uh, he had this script written for about 10 years. And it's all based upon a suburban club, which we filmed down at uh, Torquay. Uh, about a young guy who uh, transgresses and how the whole impacts on the town. You know, through uh, through an association with someone else, with a with a girl, and the all you know, he's all of a sudden been disenfranchised. Then comes back, and you know all that, and it really was a good storyline. And uh, unfortunately, the mistake that was made, we showed we had to deal with Hoyt. I think it was Hoyt, just vague, I can recall now. But they would show it at ten o'clock in the morning. Only had a contract for ten o'clock in the morning. And wouldn't show, you know, mainstream. And who goes to the movies at 10 in the morning apart from, you know. Wow. So, but I think, he, you know, in terms of uh, oh, all the other packages that, you know, you can sell with a movie, I think he recouped most of, most of his out. out, uh, out would uh, they thought that an Australian Rules film yeah. would work okay. Well, they did, but it wasn't predominantly just about the Australian Rules footage. About the person. Even though that was the basis. Yeah. Uh, it was all about the... Uh, uh, about the uh, the personnel, the uh, how it impacts in a small town when certain individuals transgress and uh, have relationships that weren't. Oh yeah. So which uh, would have happened? Uh, I guess oh, in, in most country towns, in real life, in most towns. Uh, how about the lamb? Where, where, where did that come into? Two thousand five. Well, when I when I was doing the uh, the fat. Uh, the late David Thomason, who was the marketing manager of the Meat and Livestock Association, thought that uh, 
thought that he, he, he really took a liking to my down-the-barrel monologues. Yes, yep. 30 second, and then you know it makes sense, I'm Sam Kekovich. Down-the-barrel, he said, you know, this may just have something on it. So he was fairly audacious, spirited and daring. He said, uh, let's try uh, Sam Kekovich. So I was approached, and of course the first commercial, as you know, was based on, you know, eradicating all things un-Australian, and the first thing I did was have a crack at the vegans, you know, those okay. sober-avoiding, dull-bludging, pot-smoking vegetarians. And, of course, that gleaned a lot of traction. And it was based on irreverence and satire, yeah. and, and the average punter just loved it, and the ads went through the roof. You know, the most successful campaigns in the history of Australian television. The satire is dead, isn't it? Oh, dead, but... You know, it's been cured by woke. Yeah, but it'll come back, let me tell you. No Forget doubt. about woke. Look, uh, uh, we only had... Well, just to be... Uh, moving into this woke thing, which I know you and I uh, are at one here. Look, a bit of us followed, and a lot of things had to be corrected. No but, doubt. But so often they throw the baby out with the, with the bathwater. I couldn't agree with you more, Leon. Look, we've diluted a lot of our material too, and look, rightfully so. But I find it abhorrent, and I get infuriated when people point the finger at us and say that we're racist. Australians wouldn't know what racism means. You know, we are the most laid-back, irreverent nation in the world. We are so lucky with our freedom of speech. And I tell people, no one owns the language. If I say to someone, you're a good-looking bloke, or call someone a wog, my intent is never to demean, defile, or disparage. And it's never in the content, it's in the tone in which it's delivered. And, you know, there are things that did need addressing. Uh, people's insensitivity towards certain issues. Sure, but this has gone overboard. The school curriculum is a disgrace. Teaching young kids and this gender politics, all this, uh, you know, it is just, it, it defies logic where these people come from. But the reality is they involve themselves in these inane issues to try to legitimise and validate their own existence because they realise they've almost become you know, irrelevant in their own lives. And for some unknown reason, they derive some, you know, relevance by impinging themselves on these inane crusades. Let me tell you, as a smart man once said to me, all these protests that are taking place, outside of one or two percent, the other 90-odd 90, 90 percent wouldn't have a clue what they're voting for or what they're protesting. They just feel good about bending this plea against the status quo. That's what it is. Now, I think one day uh, somebody's going to say, I'm offended because you're offended. Yeah. I don't know where that's going to go. Well, if you say you're offended, you take the high moral ground automatically, which is a disgrace. And the perpetually aggrieved that, you know, permeate our society, you know, need to be weeded out because now everyone's got a cause and everyone's got a right. Well, let me tell you, a democracy is a privilege. It's not a given right. You know, we lost 80,000 at the Somme, the Western Front, and, uh, you know, for the, the privileges of what we're enjoying. We are the most inclusive, diverse, prosperous nation in the world, behaving appallingly. And we need to smarten up and, st- and tell some of these, you know, nondescripts, pseudo-intellectual nondescripts, to piss off and get a real life. We've had uh, Sam Kingovich. Uh, you know, it makes sense. <laughs> you make, make sense. And before you cut me off, I want my two bottles of Mitchelton sent too, oh, you know. I'm you a like guest it. of the show. I'm offended that you reckon <laughs> I'm stocking this stuff up. Well, 
Are you? I'm going to go down below here at the Prince of Wales. I was just looking at their bottle racks yeah. on the way here at 9 o'clock this morning. <laughs> I won my yeah. four bottle or two bottles. No, down in that very basement room, yeah. whatever you call it, you know all the rooms. I don't go to those rooms. They would have about 400 wines on display down there. Have they? They're fantastic. Yeah, all yeah. different labels, you know, some Mitchelton, of course. You've been down there? No, I looked through the window this morning. You can see it from, what's that street there? Ackland Street. Ackland Street. You can see. If, you can just look through the window and see it all. See there. Now, Sam, it's been a great joy uh, hearing more about you, and a lot of people are very interested in some of the stuff that uh, they wouldn't have previously known about you. So, congratulations on a wonderful career. Thanks, Leon. I appreciate this immensely. And by the way, I'll be doing you next week too. Well, thanks for the yeah. warning. Uh, well, we've got a few things lined up. Uh, we've got uh, Peter McKenna coming up. Uh, we hope. Uh, we'll certainly have Stuart Fox, the uh, the Secretary CEO of the MCC. Greg uh, Evans. Uh, Greg Evans, which will be a great. That's part Pictures of the of life, Greg. part of sport and life. Yes. Austin Robinson. Oh, yeah. Well, how many goals did he kick? They talk about they talk about Buddy Franklin kicking six goals, and they get hysterical about it. If Austin Robinson got six goals, they'd drop him. Drop him. And, not, and what a mover and shaker he was in all spheres of life. Well, the, uh, to do with uh, Strop and uh, Hogan Strop and all those Hogan. guys. Yeah. What about cricket? Oh, well, uh, he was the guy. World Series. He was the one in 1977 who signed all those players up. That's right. Um, so there you go, a bit coming up on Sport and Life. But I still want my two bottles of Mitchelton. <laughs> I'm telling you, Leon, you're not getting away with it. Uh, next week. <laughs> 